podcast ain't played nobody this is we're gonna we're gonna attempt to slowly get more professional at this uh i am bill Connolly uh here with stephen godfrey godfrey you had a piece go up about arizona last week um that we should talk about here in a little bit and we can always dive into whatever my latest previews have been i know we wanted to because we are us we wanted to kind of talk about fresno state a little bit uh how are you doing godfrey Pretty good. Oh, look, we're getting more professional, but don't think for a second that legitimate football programs are going to take a front seat um, and and push out terrible mid majors or completely forgotten programs with small fan bases. This is not this is not the mass media's podcast. Okay, we are gonna... we are what professionals should be. We right. are not the talk about fifteen teams during the season, play golf for six months, and then pick it up at SEC media days. No, we're going to talk about stuff no one else wants to because no one else is interested in it. Damn it. Uh, I did go to Arizona, Bill. That is a Power 5 school, so already we're breaking the mold this week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it's Arizona. It's not one of the 15 schools that... No, very very much not so. And it's it's kind of strange to me because I was having lunch with the, the SID guys at, at Arizona, uh, Blair and Jeremy, very nice guys. And I mentioned that my first memory growing up far, far away from Arizona of Arizona football was at a crucial point in time, it was the desert swarm cover of Sports Illustrated with like yes. Teddy Bruschi and those guys. So I don't even know, Bill, do you know what year that is? You're the robot. Tell it was me. like 92 to 94. I okay, guess. yeah, that would make sense because I would have been like 11, 12, 13 in that range. So to me, if you put like, if you show a 12 year old a Sports Illustrated cover and there's a team on the front of it, like they are a, in my head as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, Arizona's good at football. But Actually, when I told Bill weeks ago, I was like, hey, I'm going out to Arizona um, as part like we're going to do this story about how spring games are stupid and Rich Rod's blowing it up. I said, tell me something interesting about Arizona. Do you remember the only thing that you told me? Uh, they were terrible at defense last year? No. Uh, we did talk about that later. And we'll get into that in a second. But um, they have never had three consecutive oh, right, yeah. seasons of eight wins or more. Yeah, that's right. Because I just so done that's not a good historical program. <laughs> I, I just done that for my, um, my my little responsibilities for Athlon. Uh, you know, that was one of the numbers I noticed was wow, uh, that was the longest streak streak of decent play that they've ever had in a row. Because even even Dick Tomey, who had some incredible defenses there, uh, ninety one they went four and seven, ninety two six five and one, ninety three ten and two, ninety four eight and four. And then six and five, five and six, seven and five again before that 98 breakthrough where they went 12 and one again. Then they went six and six, five and six, five and six, four and eight. Like they, they really haven't ever been able to, it's kind of like an Illinois situation where they, um, they have had good seasons and good teams, but they never, ever keep it together for more than a year or two at a time. So yeah, the fact that they went eight and five, eight and five, 10 and four under Rich Rod before only quote unquote, only going seven and six last year uh, with an admittedly pretty bad team. Um, that's, that's, that's huge. That's, that is a, that they are, that is a level of foundation that they're not used to having. Um, I'm going to jump around here for a second. We have one story that's already up on expedition. Um, and, it, and that was more about Rich Rod staying about what kind of the process with South Carolina courting him. And then the rumors with Virginia tech last year. And then also that he has taken apart his spring game. We'll get to that in a second as it relates to some stat stuff and some things that Bill and I talked about. But we also have a piece coming up at some point this week with myself and Ian Boyd, um, which is going to be more of a smart football type breakdown, um, kind of similar to what we did with Joe Moorhead and the Penn State offense. We're going to do it with Arizona's defense and Marcel Yates, um, the defensive coordinator who came to the Wildcats from Boise. I, I just realized as I'm saying this, I guess I've made a habit of profiling coordinators who are stepping into really crappy situations, at least with Moorhead. That's the the one common link between Moorhead and Yates and their situations. Um, and because of that, I wanted to pivot real quick and get to a question early um, because I think this is something we could probably correct. And my favorite thing to do on this show is to change narrative or debunk. Um, Justin Killall asks, is it pretty common? It, or no, it's actually a statement. It's pretty common that most hurry up, no huddles have mediocre defenses. Do you see this trend continuing or changing? Um, I think, Bill, right off the bat, we would say that's no longer the case. Right. I mean, that's that's always been the narrative. And, and, and it depends on what you mean. They are going to give up points and yards because their de- offense moves so quickly that they have more possessions. Um, so when you, you know, you give you give another uh, you, you give an opponent 14 or 16 or 17 or 18 possessions, they're going to score. They're going yeah. to put up three, four, five hundred yards. Um 
but you know that's that's one of the purposes of the, of the stats that I try to, to track are you know per you know pace adjusted you know possession adjusted things that will allow you to look at on a you know from a down to down basis how good are they really um, Baylor is a decent example when they you know probably came the closest to breaking through to the national title uh, was I guess 2013 they that was I believe when that, that was. Yeah, that was the year they they got to November undefeated and then got smoked by Oklahoma State. Uh, and then, yeah, that's right. And then they went to uh, they they lost to UCF in the in the Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. They were third in S and P plus that year. They were third on offense, but they were twenty sixth on defense. Now that's I mean that's not you know top five, but it's good. And TCU. Uh, <laughs> That that is kind of the prime example of a team that ran uh, an explosive offense. That 2014 team, they were 17th on offense and 13th on defense. They were 12th in defense in 2013, uh, 14th in 2012. One so, thing that I would look at because I don't have the kind of information readily available to Bill that I think I I, I don't think I know is is happening amongst rank and file sports writers is that you're looking now at total plays that offenses are running and then how is that affecting defenses. Um, I mean, TCU, if you just pull up total plays from last year, let's throw out this, let's throw out Alabama and Clemson. They're up there, but they also played an extra game more than most. Um, I mean, TCU is eighth in the country. In, play, in the number of plays they had or the number of plays they faced? No, number of plays that they had. I mean, their offense was out there a lot. They're running a lot of plays. Now, logically, that doesn't necessarily say that they're running a lot of tempo, but I do know for, I mean, we, we do know that TCU can go fast when they want to. Um, the one that jumps out like, to me, I guess, would be my alma mater. Um, they don't run as fast at Ole Miss as they have. They've actually never run as fast as Freeze has wanted them to, allegedly, because of some deficiencies in the run game. Um, but it is possible. I don't, I don't think anyone would connotate Ole Miss and, and bad defense. I mean, they've recruited such talent that they've oh, they've been that. awesome. They've been awesome. On yeah, defense. I mean, it's they, they've, they've definitely had some failings at times. You know, they did lose to a, to Memphis, and they, they kind of befuddled them in the secondary. But, I mean, they, I think the the direct correlation may have never actually been there. We just I think we didn't have enough information, and really you have to change the way you're looking at this. So I was talking to Marcel Yates. By the way, I think he's a rising star. I think he's one of those guys that it, it will have a head coaching job in the next four to five years. Really sharp guy. He was a Boise State alumnus, so I like the fact that like that Boise State attitude is always interesting when it's applied to like a larger and larger scale. They're just, uh, I mean, I don't want to say this without cliche, but like the whole gritty, hungry, driven kind of. He, he, it's just a different vantage point than someone that comes from the five star background or having a lot of available resources. Um, he, you know, we'll put the article up later this week, but if I can make one comparison, it would be to David Gibbs at Houston. Another guy I talked to a couple of years ago, he's now at Texas tech. They just aren't looking at stat sheets the same way. Defensive coordinators. And I don't think this has, by the way, I don't think this has anything to do with the fact that he's going from Brian Harson to Rich Rodriguez in terms of the offenses. Maybe that'd be an interesting comparison in terms of like how much time he's going to be, how much time he's going to have to deal with, how many uh, drives he's going to have to deal with. I think it's just, Look, Boise gets into some high-scoring affairs. Arizona, high-scoring affairs. You're going to go tit for tat at some point. By the way, Alabama gets into high-scoring affairs. Um, <laughs> it's it's pretty much inevitable at this point in college football. Yates doesn't care. I mean, they're not looking at total yardage. They're not looking at. They're. I mean, they're really not looking at points allowed, unless they lose a game. You know, they joke, but. They're looking at, at everything that Bill and I talk about, so that kind of makes us feel good, you know? They're looking at what's the efficiency when the opposing team gets in the red zone, turnovers are number one, and then yards per play. I'm uh, I, I'm currently on Excel while you're talking, so this is... Oh, I'll uh, vamp. If you're, so if you're trying to... What I'm looking at real quick, I, yeah. I, I didn't know a good place to find it. I'm looking real quick at plays faced per game. Uh, since you look at you can look at total plays, but that includes you know fifteen games or twelve. So the plays faced per game, T- Tulsa was had the faced the most at eighty one point five plays per game. Damn. Hawaii was at eighty point eight, but then you go down the list: Northern Illinois third, Kansas fourth, Oregon fifth, Texas sixth, uh, UCLA seventh, Indiana eighth, Texas Tech ninth, North Carolina tenth, Ole Miss eleventh, uh, uh, Arizona thirteenth, uh, TCU sixteenth. So um, TCU is 16th. That's interesting. 
Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's just, you know, that's going to be a, me- a measure like this is going to tell you a few different things. Either you have a massive bendo break defense that struggles to get off the field. That was kind of North Carolina's thing this year. They got a lot of credit for improving on defense and they did. They didn't improve, uh, but they were, you know, if you were willing to take five yards at a time, they had nothing to offer against that. Uh, and they would, as Baylor showed in the bowl game, they would do that all, all game. Um, but then it also, you know, and maybe Texas is on there because they, you know, were a little too inefficient. Their offense was inefficient, so they were punting. Get, they were going three and out a lot. Uh, and then you've got a lot of fast teams. Oregon's on there. Tulsa is on there. NIU, TCU, et cetera. So it is a mix. But, no, I mean, the number of plays you face per game, the number of possessions you face, that impacts your stats to an incredible degree. And it really does affect what we call, well, what we call mediocre, I guess. What's the... I mean, the, the defenses I'm thinking of off the top of my head, just in terms of, of, of burying this whole thing once and for all, would be what the two national title losing teams, the Oregon team of two years ago and the Auburn team of three years ago. I mean, statistically, talent-wise, those teams had – I mean, those teams had good defenses. Now, uh, they, they were carried by their offenses, but they were yeah, – Auburn, funny enough, Auburn is kind of the incorrect one in that bunch. Um you know, the narrative coming from 2010 game Auburn-Oregon was, you know, Oregon just couldn't keep up with the SEC defense. Well, right. they were 36th in, in my defensive ratings that year Auburn was. In 2013, they were 46th. They were just, in 2010, they were first in offense. In 2013, they were second in offense. Um, but, you know, Oregon... Wait, what example, was their defensive ranking the year that they lost the national title to Florida State? 46. 46, okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but then Oregon, well, Oregon's kind of funny because um, they, they were 28th in 2014 when they made the uh, national title game. They were 29th in 2010 when they made the national title game. But they had other teams in there that were even better. Like they were 15th in, in 09. They were 19th in 07 that year that, you know, Dennis Dixon knee changed the national title race. Uh, they've had some, you know, rock solid top 20 or 25 defenses, a lot of them. Um, and then last year just verified all the narratives because suddenly they were terrible on defense. Um, actually, no, now that I say that, somehow the defense kind of almost got let off the hook last year because we were all convinced they had a quarterback problem. They were ninth on offense and 82nd on defense, but they had a quarterback problem. And, and obviously part of that was that Vernon Adams wasn't healthy. But uh, but yeah, still, I mean, like they, their, they, their problems they, they were so They did have a quarterback problem. They didn't have Marcus Mariota returning for <laughs> I mean, there was going to be some drop-off at the position. Right. It's so funny but, how Oregon – Freaking Oregon, who's been to two national title games this decade. Yeah. But we fall, still talk about, like, you, yeah. know, you, can't, you can't do this, you can't do that with this kind of offense. Yeah, they fall, well, and they fall prey to such big, dumb, clunky assumptions outside of, like, the, you know, that corner of the Pac 12. It just, once that, I mean, in certain parts of the country, uh, our part, uh, when that <laughs> label of gimmick is applied to you in any way, shape, or form, it's really hard to shed that. Well, and it's at the same time. I mean, you don't need to shut it. You just go ahead and keep winning. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime Oregon gets brought up in uh, in one of in my piece or anybody else's at the SB Nation uh, main site, like for, especially Florida State fans, there there is a certain level of resentment. Even before last year's game, when they wiped the floor with with Florida State. There's always been this weird resentment between SEC fans and FSU fans towards Oregon. Like, who do these people think they are figuring out a new way to win? Um, and I guess it's the same for Baylor to a certain degree, but Baylor hasn't been able to break through and, and get that national caliber, like semifinal or final game and, and do well in it. Uh, they managed to trip themselves up before them more often than not. But no, that's, that's always been this weird like it, it almost borders on kind of like this obsessive anger kind of thing where they just will not, they, they will stay quiet. They will stew in the moment. Anything bad happens, they'll jump in and talk and say, you know, gimmick offense and all that. That's what it's going to take. Honestly, I think in the, in the, the AM radio corners of the world that you're going to need a national championship game in which Clemson beats Alabama, in which Oregon beats Auburn, in which Auburn beats Florida state. It's, it's what it's going to take. And I don't even know if that'll, if it'll, if that'll change anything. But, you know, at least... I think Clemson, already- and, and by the way, I love... I mean, we're, we're, do, we're, we're committing the same sin here because comparing Clemson's offense and Oregon's is 
it's not even close to the same thing. It's basically those who, who can, uh, who, who aren't scared of the word of using the word spread to describe their offense versus those who are, um, Clemson's not, therefore they're in the same boat as Oregon. (laughs) And and again, keep in mind the Lane Kiffin Alabama offense has has leaned a lot heavily, a lot, uh, a lot more heavily. I can't speak this morning, uh, towards that side than they have to any of the old power foundation. I mean, they ran, in Cooper's last year in Tuscaloosa, they ran an offense through a wide receiver, and it worked. Yeah. Until, well, until Ohio State, but that was more of a defensive problem. Moving on. <laughs> um, I went to Arizona. Um, I, expect, uh, I expect to be lauded for the fact that I have written one story and, and obtained what we call color, on-site information, anecdotal things, observational writing. Um, I've never been more sick in my life on assignment. I was blessed, hashtag blessed, with a uh, with a fantastic, aggressive um, stomach flu that hit me um, about six hours after I arrived in Tucson um, and shut me down for a while. I uh, I drove nearly blinded with sickness to a CVS in Arizona in the middle of the day, which is just a story unto itself. Um, that's why the story wasn't longer. Um, see, this is the this is why when Bill and I launched this podcast, we. You know, we set out to give you that that extra bit of information, um, and me vomiting profusely in a parking lot in Tucson, Arizona, is that information. I, I feel like that adds color, both figuratively and literally, to the story. Um, yeah, let's not talk too much about color. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's uh, it was it was a miserable experience. Um, but one of the things that uh, that we set out to do, and the reason why I went all the way to Tucson. Um, well, one of the reasons is that Richrod blew up the spring game, um, and I couldn't be happier. I, th- I think I'm speaking for Bill and saying that you couldn't be happier about like, are you as uh, are you as averse to the spring game as as I am? Oh, I, I like having a reason to go to Furrow Field in like on a Saturday in April and kind of pretend it's September for a couple hours. Okay. Um, that's all I care about. Like the game itself is is a complete waste of time. Uh, you know, in, in the the scorekeeping and everything else. Like it, it I, I have absolutely no problem with it, with building, especially you know a fan friendly type of situation. I have no problem whatsoever with doing something massively different. Well, I would have no problem with the spring game if everyone took it like that. The problem is that you do the talk radio rounds, you get on the message boards, you. Hell, I mean, it's not just, I don't want to put it off on the fans, it's the reporters, it's the media too, drawing any kind of conclusive evidence out of a spring game. Coaches hate them, okay? By and large, coaches, even at programs where they sell a lot of tickets for spring games, they hate them. Um, Because the more demand there is for competitive action, the higher the risk of injury. And I have yet to see anyone rationalize an injury in a spring game as anything other than the dumbest thing in the world. (laughs) Uh, if you're going live, if you're having full contact, if guys are run blocking aggressively, if you're blitzing, I mean, I, I cannot think of a spring game. Well, maybe there's one or two. I'm sure. I'm sure it's out there where quarterbacks were live. Could you, I mean, I don't really have like a mental inventory of spring games, but I guarantee you, someone did that to be an idiot. I'm sure Ed Ogeron did it actually. To go back and look, um, that'd be tough. It's just a dumb concept. When you're talking about creating any, if you want to build an inference into anything, depth, uh, offensive or defensive systems, Rodriguez was like, he went out of his way to say, we are not every, like when they, they went, they did a full contact scrimmage at the end of this thing with half of their twos and their threes. Okay. (laughs) And they had most of their starters kind of crowded around, um, to make noise and to kind of, you know, screw with the young guys and just really have fun. And by the way, while they're doing this, Richard has a mic and he's in the stands of Arizona stadium, having fans pick out plays <laughs> kind of very similar to like the menu on the old, I don't know if it was as simplistic as like a tech mobile, but it was pretty close. Um, it actually looked exactly like the select menu. If you're playing Madden or, or NCAA. So that was a level of seriousness to it. Um, they were, uh, I mean, lost my train of thought a little bit, but like it it was all very, very simplistic design not to be injured. Like no one was saying, well, okay, this is the system. And he told Yates specifically, like we're we're installing a new defense. 
but we're not going to show anything for BYU. That's their first game of the season. I don't know of any coach I've ever talked to that really wants to put anything on film during their spring game. I don't know why they're so averse to it. I guess it's because obviously you can't get, you can't get video footage of a team's practice. And when I was at Georgia Southern last year or for the first week against West Virginia, they watched the West Virginia spring game because they saw what they believed to be Dana working on a couple past tree structures on defense. Yeah. Um, I get all this. I just think that it's, um, it's just not something that college football fans can be trusted with. We're just not, (laughs) I think as a culture, we're not responsible enough because people are so passionate that they want to draw something out of it. If they just took it at face value and had fun with it, it would be fine. Well, but then, I mean, and now, you know, with the SEC network and whatnot, yeah, you get like real announcers covering this as if it's a real game. Oh, I felt so bad for the Pac-12 network. So they're in Tucson. You have like kids fielding. You have like five-year-olds coming out to field punts and, you know, old guys coming out from the stands to like run tackling drills, like on pad, like against those those big padded blocking things. Like it was, I think it was Yogi Roth from Pac-12 was out there and they're having to like turn this into television programming. And I don't know. I mean, most of, most of you listening don't, I mean, I'm sure don't have the Pac-12 network. So I know I, know I don't. If you do, dig through your on-demand and watch it. I'm curious. I do actually have it, um, and I well, I don't watch a lot of television. Like, I don't watch a lot of conference network television anyways, but I'd be curious to, like, what they created. If it was, like, 60 minutes of people running drills or something. I don't, I don't know. There's you know, some honestly, Oklahoma though, drills. Like, that's always fun to watch. Obviously, you have to break the template, but that sounds a lot more entertaining. I would watch that long before I watched, like, a rerun of the Florida spring game. I will say this. You put Rich Rod on a mic. It's it's good yeah. stuff. It's, it's good I'm, stuff. Yeah, he's one of my favorite. Like all the, whatever coach profiles I've done or whatever coaches I've talked to, he, uh, he he was easily one of the best. And and you know that piece that I had last year, I got lots of good quotes about how well. Uh, part of the reason we spread everybody out is uh, I had a bunch of dumpy linemen who I thought could get run over slowly, and you know things like that. Halftime adjustments. We we're old. We're going to the bathroom at halftime, and and things like that. <laughs> He was one of my favorites. I hope he stays in coaching for a very, very, very long time. Okay, not to make this too Arizona-centric, but uh, one thing I did want to bring up, if, if we have something as a, as a topic of the show. So I've made it a point to bug Bill pretty much at every step when I'm writing a story now on all the little things that I've taken for granted or assumed or been trained to do in sports writing, specifically with college football. Um, I was writing – passage about how bad Arizona's defense was. And so I got in touch with Bill and I said, how do I frame this correctly? Because even now my instinct is to go to NCA stats or, or CFBstats.com, look up defense, click on defense, and then it's going to rank it by what it's usually, is it a yards allowed per game or total yards allowed or whatever? I think that's what the default setting yeah. is. Yeah. So I go to Bill and I say, how best do we describe this this crappiness. And so what we settled on, let me pull the actual conversation up <laughs> is that we use the S and P plus, and this is also going to be sort of the interactive part of the show. By the way, we are still accepting homework assignments. So this week's interactivity is more of just a, an open question. Let me stall a little bit as I, okay. Um, how I asked you basically, how, how should I frame this? How should I explain how bad Arizona's defense was? So they were 110th in defensive S&P plus last year. Yeah. Um, and then your suggestion was points per game, I think. And then you have adjusted points per game. So I used total. I think I settled on the defensive S&P ranking because I think uh, at least among SB Nation college football readers, people who listen to this podcast, this side of the of the fandom and the internet and all that, I feel like people recognize S&P plus for what it is. I think as an adjusted smarter way of ranking total defense, total offense, that kind of stuff. So I I feel like that was, that was effective enough to say, Hey, they were bad. And then the other thing I said was, was points per game. Um, 
I did not use adjusted points per game. Well, the adjusted points per game are basically me taking their their S and P rating there and applying it to basically like the the scoring bell curve. Okay, so, you know, it's a way to communicate the rating. Like, okay, what does one hundred tenth mean? It means they basically like in a vacuum against normal opponents would have given up about thirty five points a game or something like that. That's what that that's what that means. It's just a way of communicating what one hundred tenth means, more or less. My question to you guys, and I'll turn it over to Bill in just a second, is do, does that fit for you? Do you feel like do you understand that? Should I have said, hey, it was X amount of, you know, was it third down percentage? I mean, we used to we used to assume all this kind of stuff in sports writing that, that we knew the most effective way to convey a point. I think everyone agrees. Hey, I mean, Rich Rodriguez agreed. He fired his longtime defensive coordinator, yeah. um, uh, Castile, who was with him going back to West Virginia. Um, he, he was he good. Fired. He was frequently good too, but yeah, he went I mean, last year. Uh, well, and, and part of that too is is we haven't touched on this, but like he, they need to to change the recruiting philosophy and and better infiltrate Southern California to compete for talent, and that's what the new staff brings in on defense. Um, did, did, you, did you guys get it? Did, did, does it does it make <laughs> sense? How how best do we convey this information? Because there's there's a lot of stuff we won't do. So I'm never going to talk about total yardage again. Um, good good unless i feel like anecdotally you can do an obscene amount of total yards almost as like a fun kind of rubberneck traffic accident thing um you know if texas tech has 700 total yards of offense in a game i think that's worth mentioning just because it's funny as an outlier Well, yeah it's very it can be very descriptive but if you're talking about evaluation it gets less effective in a hurry um actually i think that should be the question of the show is whether or not what is it that you guys are looking for? Because this is a question Bill asked. You asked me this when you wrote your first book. When you, you interviewed a bunch of people and asked them, "What are you looking at when you look at a box score?" Yeah. Um, if I remember right, when I talked to you all those years ago, I think I was. I think I we were already starting to shy away from totals, um, and turnovers and third down. I think is what I said. I don't know. It's in the book. Yeah, I, I think I mean, that was basically what everybody said. Some. Some version of total yards, um, turnovers, often yeah. third down conversions. Defenses uh, for me, third down conversions was always a big thing. Then you started, one of the things that Hurry Up No Huddle did was change that because uh, often teams were seeing less third downs, less and less third down. So I, I, as, as an offense, I wasn't looking at their third down as much. I was looking more for it on a defensive scale. If you know what you're, if you know what kind of style team you're looking at, I think it changes the way that you're probably going to check a, a box, you know. Right, and that's that was part of like with the first book when I was talking about that. That was part of the the idea there was like third down conversions for anything is is really is a pretty descriptive thing, and it tells you a lot. It's just what what I would see on television um, or when, you know generic coach speak quotes. It was kind of they were using it for the wrong thing. You know, coach said we got to get better on third down. Like, well, yeah, probably, but are you facing third and three or third and eight? Because if it's if you're giving up a lot of third and threes, you need to get better on third down. If you're giving up a lot of thir- or third and eights, let me let me try that again. If you're giving up a lot of third and eights, uh, then you need to get better on third down. But if you're going to give up a lot of third and threes, you need to get better on first down so that you're not so that offenses have more than three yards to go on on third down. So. Um, I wish there was an average down and distance for third downs in the box. Yeah, that, the, basically that was what I said in the book was I either would love to see average yards gained on first down or average yards to go on third. Yeah. There, I mean, there are some teams that give up a, just a crap ton of third and seven conversions because they're too passive or they blitz, but they're not good at it or whatever. Uh, and that tells you something. But if you're just if if opponents are converting a lot of third and twos and third and threes, then your problem isn't third down. Well, I think that's what we're going to aim for this season when we start talking about big games. The next day on the moratorium, I want to start looking specifically and building that conversation out on first down success and average third, average down and distance on third and, if, if applicable, fourth. Um, so I want to do something just as an experiment real quick. So we talk about weird teams. Baylor always comes up. And, Bill, I'll give you a second because I just thought this up. If you can, will you please pull up the box score um, and I've got the one up from ESPN um, from the Texas Baylor game this year. Oh, okay. For this year? Yeah. Yeah. So Texas won 23 to 17. Um, that was the game that knocked Baylor out of the Sugar Bowl, which would have, I'm still a little miffed about because I think the <laughs> Baylor will mismatch up would have just been, at, I mean, short of the Clemson Alabama title game, the best bowl 
of the season. Um, Got it. Got the box score up. Okay. Google so, Chrome is pretty much trained. Like all I have to do is type in B-A-Y and it immediately says it, it auto-completes Baylor, blah, blah, blah schedule. So, so let's go with – there's different – there's box score. There's recap is the actual – I think the – let's go with – is summary the words? Uh, I don't remember. You no, just okay, so me that, the that summary – we'll, so we'll, we'll play around with this. What are you looking at first on this one, Bill? How do you how do you look at a Baylor box score? Oh God, pop up ad. Hang on, Jesus. Okay. Um, so I, I pulled up the the official school the the whatever automated scorebook box score. Um, You're smarter than I. Am. The first thing I look at is total yards and yards per play because they're right there together. Um, because that'll I mean as often as not you can look at that and basically it, it'll be pretty close to the score. Um, like, you know, you won by 18 and you outgained them by, I don't know, 140 yards that, that, you know, then you pretty much know what everything you need to know for that game. Like they just, they, they gained more yards. They had more chances. They, they blah, blah, blah. This, this game of course is pretty unique, uh, in that Baylor averaged 5.1 yards per play to Texas is 4.9. They had 31 more snaps. They, they gained 172 more yards, uh, and they lost, so then you kind of, so really it's kind of like a sleuthing thing for me. Like I start yeah. there and then I like, I, I, okay, you know, I go into this was weird mode and then start looking around and you see that Baylor fumbled twice and lost both. Texas fumbled once and didn't lose it. That means Texas recovered all three fumbles. Uh, that's huge. Uh, you hey, see guess the what? ESPN? Yeah. No yards per play. Really? I thought they did. I, it's been a while since I looked at I'm it. I'm looking and at I hate stats right they have, sold, they have total yards, they have yards per pass, and they have yards per rush. They do not have yards per play. <laughs> okay. So there's there's the problem, America. That, that, that seems like a conscious decision to you know troll me personally. I don't really appreciate that, ESPN. Um, I'll punch you in the mouth, Kirk Street. <laughs> uh, so, they, they're down efficiency, but they only have it. They don't have an actual percentage. They just have the dashes, so... But yeah, like so, I'm looking at this to kind of solve the game, so to speak. Okay, um, and that's where I start, and then I'll go to like the turnovers because obviously now you can pretty clearly see that uh, on a per play basis they they were basically the same, five point one to four point nine. But Texas recovered all three fumbles and Baylor threw two interceptions. Do you think if I gave you a blind box score that you would be able to recreate the game to a certain degree? Um, to a certain degree, I would need to know the score because. Again, like if I just if I just looked at the box score, I might stop at well, Baylor was plus one seventy two in yards. I don't know. I would have seen the fumbles too. That'd be an interesting thing. Like just give me if I gave like you the, a box score the last three years between two Power Five teams, and you don't tell me the teams or the result. Blind? Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm going to give you um, Team X and Team Y. I'll give you the final score and I'll give you all the stats. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you best recreate what you think happened, and then I would just, you know, the quarterback stat. Everything will be there. Just no, no names. Okay. Yeah. And we see what we can do in terms of just pulling it all together. Yeah. Or if anything, I tell you what we could do is we could both work on it, and we'll just have someone pull pull all the proper nouns out, um, just to see how how much can be recreated with with intuitive box score analysis. Yeah. Um, because I think the, the the purpose of the exercise is not to, is not to stump you or to try and you know it's it's not Sue saying it's what without knowing without having seen the game or having any actual memory or recall of, of a particular event or play or whatever what is about what is a box score lacking in terms of conclusive you know information that, that could be applied yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to piece together my process here because I just do it. I don't actually like. By the way, this is off season as hell. <laughs> um, so basically, with Baylor in this game, like at this point, I figured it out. You know, the fumbles, the turnovers that probably made the difference in the game. Uh, if I want to keep going, like if it still doesn't quite make sense, I'll scroll down to because the automated scorebook things. Granted, a lot of schools are going to a more quote unquote like. Visual, like web friendly design that I yeah, hate with sucks. the passion of a <laughs> thousand sucks. sons uh, because number one, I'm not a mobile. So, it, you know, I, I'm not the power user they're looking for, but just, I, I hate having to click 19 times instead of just scrolling. Um, hate it. Uh, hate, hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Can't, can't say hate enough. If my four year old was in the room, she'd be uh, yelling at me because hate is a mean word. Um, but then, like, after a while, if I still haven't figured it out, I'll go down to the drive charts and, and look at, you know, 
like Baylor. Okay, well, Baylor missed a couple. They got inside the 40, missed a couple field goals. They threw a, a pick from the Texas 42. They turned the ball over on downs at the Texas 30. Holy crap, by the way, this game took so much for Texas to win it. But, yeah, I would just kind of piece it together like that. And, oh, he, oh I mean, here's, it was, here's, it, this was in dumb cliche world. This was Ben, don't break, uh, bring your own guts, all that. And, I mean, every every trope you got for Texas. And to Texas also uh, benefited from the fact that they were plus 13 in field position. If you go down to that part, not that that's on the ESPN box score. It's definitely not. Um they, uh, their average start was at the 37 and Baylor's with the, as the, was at the 24. A lot of that has to do with turnovers typically. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was a plus in Texas's favor. They had the field position. They had the turnovers. Um, Baylor blew some scoring opportunities. And, yeah, that was it. Texas basically jumped out to a 17-0 lead and then uh, held on. <laughs> I mean, Art Browse is going to get up there, and the first thing he's going to say is four turnovers. Lost turnover battle. Yep. And it's true. I mean, that was two fumbles, two picks. Can't win football. Two fumbles, game like two that. Fi- picks, two missed field goals. Two missed field goals. Yeah, don't sleep on that. And they, granted, they were fi- four. One of them was fifty-four yards, um, but the other was forty. So, all right, dead of summer. It's coming. It's coming. Blind box score bingo. We'll see how fast. I think, we'll I, we'll I see how much you can recreate n- out of this. Audience thing. would would love that, or uh, will hopefully have enjoyed the last five minutes very much. Oh, I mean, look, if you're in this, then then th- there is no such thing as getting in the weeds. We sure as hell are not uh, not appealing to the to the top. We have not talked about Kirby Smart in Georgia. We have not talked about – we have not made any stupid brackets. We have not uh, – I mean, I'll jump into Kirby Smart in Georgia real quick. I, I guess I'm <laughs> you not brag about outraged. it, and then you can't help it. <laughs> this is why we have I mean, to- Well, I mean, my thing is I, I'm not outraged. I don't know if that makes me a bad person or not. I just – I, but I also expect so little from Power Five, from premier program head coaches. I just, I expect a level of of despicable inhumanity. So I don't know. Just I guess I, I'm not surprised. I, my only thing on that is I can't be mad at the coaches because they're allowed to. They're going to do whatever they can with exactly, you know, yeah. whatever they're allowed to do. They're allowed to restrict transfers, and I hate it. I, I absolutely hate that they're allowed to do it. But it's not on them. Of course, they're going to do if it. You, if you if you work at a zoo, you 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 don't. You aren't surprised to see a monkey throw a shit. You see it a lot. <laughs> I see a lot of monkeys throw a lot of shit. Um, the, I don't know if it makes it right. It's not really funny anymore. Um, let's jump into some questions, Bill. Speaking of throwing shit. Yeah. Um, we've got a bunch. Good job. Proud of, proud of you guys. Um, we touched on Kirby Smart in Georgia. That was in there a couple times. Um off the top of it, uh, all right. This, I'm going to pick this question, Bill, but it's only because I like to to kind of test my my recall knowledge and not what I can Google. Um, what five teams do you believe have the toughest schedules next year? You, this, that's from Michael Underwood, by the way. Thank you. We don't necessarily have to come up with five. I just want to see if off the top of your head, what is there one that jumps out at you, and then I'm, I'll I'll try and do the same. LSU, and then I guess by proxy, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, no, no. Wisconsin still plays in the Big Ten West, so you know. I guess I the proper answer would be LSU, Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas A and M, Auburn. They're there now. I'm a national college football writer. Uh, no, LSU. I mean, plays I would okay. say, yeah. I'm just thinking off those week one and week two matchups. So I'm thinking like Ole Miss adding Florida State and then getting Georgia and, and Alabama in the first month. Yeah. Um, USC adding Alabama. Um, man, LSU though. Because okay, I'm the one national schedule. college football writer here's who doesn't a, spend the entire summer talking about how great USC is going to be. Oh, it's coming. I haven't gotten to the Pac-12 yet. Um, oh, God. So LSU schedule: Wisconsin and Lambeau, okay. Jacksonville State, which I mean FCS, but the second best FCS team in the country. Uh, Mississippi State at Auburn. Uh, Auburn, of course, is a complete and total toss-up this year. Missouri at home at Florida, Southern Miss at home, o- Ole Miss at home, Alabama at home, at Arkansas, South Alabama, at A&M. Now, it's pretty home-friendly. You get Mississippi State, uh, what, Mississippi State, Missouri, Southern Miss, Ole Miss, and Alabama all at home. Um, and, you know, JSU. But still, like, Wisconsin basically kind of sort of a road game, although, of course, yeah, LSU fans will make it there. Um, and then in finishing with Arkansas A&M, that's, I guess, maybe the road game's bump that down a little bit. It's lazy um, to say this, but you could just kind of take those SEC West teams, and if anybody has a decent non-conference game, you can just say that. Like, Arkansas yeah. has to go to TCU. Ole Miss oh, has to play right. Florida State. Like, that sucks. 
Good but, for uh, us, though. Uh, I mean, no, it doesn't suck. It's great for college football. I'm saying, it's, in terms of mapping out a, 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 your year as a coach, that sucks. Well, timing matters, too. Like, the order of the games matters. That's where uh, Ole Miss's freaking schedule is unbelievable. Um, Florida State, then they get Wofford, then it's Alabama, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Memphis. Now, that's all at home. But then after a bye week, they go at Arkansas, at LSU. Um, so then, I mean, the back half of the schedule, you know, at, you know, at Vandy, Georgia Southern at home, which could or you know might or might not be a big deal. Uh, but that's a that's a one hell of a first, what, seven games of the year. It's pretty brutal. Um, gosh, I would say USC again. I think I'll lean towards schools that are transitioning up in conferences where you're playing nine conference games. I mean, doesn't USC also have Notre Dame and Alabama this year? Oh, yeah, that's right. They start with Alabama. Uh, Alabama, yeah, Utah Dame State. It. Oh, God. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Helton's going to earn his money here. So, to start off, uh, USC has Alabama and Arlington, uh, Utah State at home, which you at least have to show up for, at right. Stanford, at Utah. Um, at Washington they, later in the year. Yeah, Washington is a, that in vogue thing right now but if they are damn straight don't you dare doubt that no i i don't know if i I have yet to cast a lot on the washington i mean i was listening to a couple of our colleagues on their different podcasts recently and i think we're all pulling towards washington this year maybe they're this year's arkansas i don't know um but yeah finishing up with oregon at washington at ucla notre dame is pretty impressive too for for usc that is i just want to say this right now it's march 22nd as we record this i want to I, w- I want to wrap up this freaking segment, okay? Maybe put it in some, like, press and seal, some aluminum foil, and put it in the back of the fridge. And when I'm in some hotel room in August at some stupid media event, and everyone's doing their season, like, a, the, 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 that full-on hype preview crap is it is at its peak, I don't want to hear about 10 and 2 USC. I don't want to hear it, because it's not going to happen. But, it, but you know That's what? That's actually... Bill, I swear to God. No, no, I'm going to say this is where a hard schedule helps because that will almost, I mean, I'm sure you can find. I'll tease down some of the stupid. Yeah, you can, you'll find, you can find 10 or 11 or 12 win predictions if you look for it. But when the schedule is like that, you can't really even talk yourself into it. Like, yeah, they'll probably be pretty good, but damn, you know. Look, dude, Utah's is a swing game in September to get to 500 because I don't think you're beating Stanford or Alabama. So Utah is your swing game to get to 500. And then you have both Arizonas in October. So I don't want to hear anything about national title contention. (laughs) I don't care if you fire your coach on an airplane, on a tarmac, because he's wasted. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not where that program is. I did not mean to. I did not mean to go into the Southern Cal media hatred. I don't dislike Southern Cal. I've said it before. I dislike this stupid amount of attention that program gets. Man, I had a good time tailgating on that campus. Is all no, say. Southern Cal's awesome. I, I love that college football has such a unique place in Los Angeles. It's great. It's just, God, the stupidity around that program. <laughs> um, hardest schedules in the – do you want to go by – I can go by conference real fast um, because I believe Michigan's is not fun. If you're on the if you're on the east side of the Big Ten, you can kind of it's almost like pulling the whole west side of the SEC thing. Um, uh, yeah. So ooh, I mean, by the way, I, uh, redacted on Michigan. Yeah, yeah, no. Redacted, I mean, the, the, the non-conference of Hawaii UCF. Yeah, well, I saw Hawaii and UCF, and I was like, Mm-mm, nope, nope, nope. And I know you got some West teams in there, so I don't want to hear that at all. Uh, Oklahoma. I forgot about Oklahoma, Ohio State. That's pretty salty. Yeah. So. Um, it's it's not a fun stretch. Um, Ohio State goes to Gaylord and then closes the year with both Michigans. They do get they. I mean, they get the Wolverines at home. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, still though, you look at you look at that. That's a pretty soft stretch there for Ohio State. So no, they're yeah. not on the list. No, I said no. Oklahoma, Houston. Uh, in their first four games, Houston, Ohio State, uh, at TCU. We did exactly what we said we weren't going to do. We're just sitting here on Google like everybody else. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, okay, fine. Let's just we're, – we're, we're switching here. We're we said – all right, no, no, no we, made, we made a list. We said uh, Oklahoma, USC, Ole Miss, 
The entire SEC West. The entire SEC West. <laughs> Sorry, Arkansas. Uh, although Mississippi State, the, well, they, they got a road game at UMass. You never know. Um, uh, you know. What's Sparty's non-conference? He says, having done no research. Uh, at Notre Dame and Furman and uh, BYU. Okay, a push, push. All right. Yeah, not bad. Okay, not bad, not bad, not bad. Oh, BYU. That's the answer. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the answer. Arizona, Utah, UCLA, West Virginia, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Cincinnati. Yeah, that's the answer. UCLA, I think I said that. Um, oh, and Boise. Yeah, absolutely. So our answer that we did not Google is USC, Ole Miss slash the SEC West, BYU, and who did I just leave off? Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. There's your answer. We knew it off the top of our heads. Moving on. <laughs> you want to pick a question? <clears throat> okay, so um, our, our friend Chris says, does success at football at all indicate how much a state has its shit together? <laughs> Alabama has won four national titles since 2009. Next question. Um, do you have any insight on the kind of failed transition that UMass had from FCS to FBS? Um, they stunk at the wrong mm. time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so much of this comes down to when you're good and when you're not. New Mexico, like I said before, I feel so bad for New Mexico State. They were basically taking like a five-year approach to build depth and get back to winning. And after year three, they got dumped from the Sun Belt. Metro Broman asks, which, which FCS team, I butchered that, which FCS team besides North Dakota do you believe is best position to jump to FBS? I would disagree so, with you, Mr. Broman. Yeah, um, I think North Dakota State. No, well, no, not, not even that. Uh, North Dakota, I feel like, is is not positioned at all to join the FBS. Oh, I, think, I mean, they're right next to the MAC. I think they could ease into the MAC really easily um, without really I, having I, I to change very much. I don't know. I don't know. I also don't know what, what the MAC gains from that. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a completely different story. But if the Mac were to say, "Hey, come up," uh, I think. Well, I mean, my, so my stance here is on positioning. It's going to be tough to convince the the like eleven schools that are that sit next to each other in that little Ohio Michigan bubble to go to Fargo for well, all sports to, they, and all that. They agree stuff. to go to Boston, though, or you know, Foxborough, I guess. And they don't like that. Well, they don't. But I mean, if it's for a good team. Um, no, I'm not, you know, no, I'm not saying the Mac. I, I'm saying from North Dakota State's perspective, I think they um, are well positioned enough that if they got the right arrangement, they could go up and and yeah. Um, um, but, but I mean, maybe that's maybe we're disagreeing about the definition of positioned, right? And we also, um, as far as insight on the failed transition, it's it's timing. It's kind of the same thing that I think plagued. Um, well, although the financials at UMass aren't as problematic as they are at like the directional Louisiana's. Right. Um, and then as far as position to jump, we touched on that, I think two shows ago, um, pretty much anybody in the Southeastern footprint is, is a, is a pretty strong candidate right now. Like Eastern yeah. Kentucky is the one that was just on the, on the chopping block on the last round of Sunbelt expansion. So I would probably say them. James Madison, by the way, I, um, you know, <laughs> since I've been doing Mountain West previews, I, I've been pulling up that USA Today finances link a lot. Yeah. Um, from uh, whatever that's, let's see, I'm pulling it up now. Just, you know, from whatever, 2013, 14 revenue, I think, with the one with that had suddenly Oregon on top because of all the Phil Knight money. Um, James Madison was 63rd on the list in revenue, but right between UNLV and Old Dominion. Um, like I, you know, we they they don't really have if they're making that much money in the colonial, they don't even really need to leave. Um, well, a lot of that just, is, is the market they're in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's fine. Um, but that that alone tells me that they might be relatively well uh, situated if they ever decided, you know, if they did their feasibility study and decided, yeah, we can handle this. Um, they seem to have a sturdy enough base to uh, be able to handle such a jump. Now, I mean, obviously this list doesn't translate to quality. Army uh, was was five spots behind James Madison on this list. Um, and UMass was actually eight spots behind. So it is more than just that. But that alone told me, like, and Delaware is not far behind. There are some teams there that make enough money that I think they could, um, they, they would be able to make upgrades and whatnot. 
Also, uh, when uh, when you look at those databases, keep in mind um, state structures are very different. How funds are allotted, what they consider right. to be revenue, and then also student fees and um, there's a variety of stuff. A lot of universities I go to or talk to in the last couple of years, it's funny how often that student activity fee oh, comes man. up or like increasing it or modifying it for a certain project. I mean, athletic depart- good athletic departments are going to find revenue any way they can. Yeah, and especially when you're at like the group of five level, it does seem like that, uh, that fee uh, is pretty big. Houston, by the way, three spots behind James Madison on this list. Houston, uh, probably one of the fastest rising athletic departments in the yeah. country in terms of the amount of revenue that's coming in, although they do have a new stadium they have to pay off. Um, but again, that make, when you look at that, the, the thumbnail sketch or the 10,000-foot view where you start making assumptions, that in that case, that works. They're in the city of Houston. They have a massive alumni base. There are tons of potential corporate sponsors. You know, If you just live in Houston and want to take your kids to a ball game, that works. You know, That's... Those are things that work in favor of programs. Um, um, are we exhausting the questions, Bill? Uh, well, well, I mean, there are others. We're, we're probably spending too much time on each one. Um, I do want to hit on, will, will LSU and Florida start ex-Purdue quarterbacks this year, and how does that indict Hazel's coaching? coaching? Yeah. Number one, no. We got to Purdue, 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 yeah. Purdue, Purdue, Purdue. Um, number one, no. I would be surprised if either uh, what Edling at LSU or Appleby at Florida State, I'd be surprised if either one of them started. Um, this does, as I was ranting in our Slack room this morning, this does further reinforce the idea that Brandon Harris is terrible and completely unsalvageable uh, at, at LSU, which I think is insane. Um, I would be, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, I've been wrong before. Maybe Edling just walks in there and, and is actually semi-consistent and wins the job. But I would be, that would still shock me quite a bit. Uh, um, I'll put a pin in this one only because I'm going to see my in-laws this weekend for Easter. And uh, I'm sure I'll have a conversation with my father-in-law about how this is the year uh, that everything changes on offense. Uh, everything is going to be different. Miles is finally going to get it. He's finally going to figure it out. Um, and then the same thing will happen as it always has. Um, I don't think that Harris has a particularly different situation than Jordan Jefferson did, to be honest. And then it's the CS title game with Jordan Jefferson. It's the, yeah. Ask an LSU fan about that. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, really it, it is the exact same. It is bizarre how history repeats itself with quarterbacks at LSU. You take Mettenberger out and the cycle is amazing. And then it, What's funny is when you take Mettenberger out, people want to start talking about hypothetical Brian Perilou, and then I just my head wants to explode. So, um, I, I you talk about making bold predictions for 2016. How's this for some major program talk? I think LSU is going to be in the exact same situation they were last year. Yeah, they're going to be awesome, and they're going to play a tough schedule. They're going to lose a couple of road games, and they're going to want to fire less miles. Yeah, they are. Um, at least in the conference, maybe getting the uh, insane Arkansas push this year because the amount of returning talent that they have, people are automatically plugging them in to be a national Nothing title insane. contender. Nothing insane about that. I, I don't get it. Really respected colleagues of ours have said that recently. I, I mean, I, 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 I have them projecting ahead of Clemson, so I can't say a word. But that's just the math. But well, Billy, right. you're yeah, smart I mean, enough to look at math and go, well, okay, there's like a... Well, a, and even with the math, with that schedule, they're still not going to be likely to finish 11-1 or better. There's like a, a crazy infinity-shaped asterisk next to LSU being projected higher than Clemson because less miles, because LSU, because <laughs> the earth will swallow up some surefire victory and then in turn deliver some bizarre circumstantial long chain of plays that gives LSU a BS win over somebody. And then they will end up flopping it late against like Arkansas in the, in the home stretch. Our friend Steven asks how, how can teams that do well in basketball like Purdue leverage that for football success? I I didn't want to, I'm not going to acknowledge that question, but people are trolling you, Godfrey. Um, I have no idea. Look, I don't think people on this show, understand how little I know about basketball. No, I think that was just purely an excuse to mention oh, it was. Purdue. Yeah, it was Purdue. I hate all of you. I wish you didn't even listen to this podcast. I don't even like you guys. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else we got? Because somehow we are under. We are under an hour right now. Wait, how far uh, under? Uh, I think we're around the 55-minute mark. 54 okay. to 55. 
I want to renew the request for homework assignments. We've gotten some pretty amazing ones in. Um, Bill <laughs> We've has, gotten thousands and thousands of words of answers. It's amazing. Bill has suggested what will probably happen um, because he's smart and I'm half lazy. We don't want to read all this stuff on the air. Uh, we, we want to like reward what you guys are doing and we want to and, and, and stump for you guys to keep doing it. Um, so we're probably going to put the, what the best ones up or the excerpts of ones up on the actual, every time the podcast goes up, if you listen on iTunes, you may not know this, or if you listen on like one of the SoundCloud or whatever, there is a post on SB nation for every podcast that goes up where we have actual like text. Um, and we'll probably put those up there, I guess. Yeah. Next week we'll, uh, share, I mean, <laughs> I, I have no problem sharing them like verbatim. Um, yeah. It'll be Just a in whole, and we can kind of reference them, post. and then we can kind of you know have other people review them and and yeah. uh, see see which one makes the most sense. But yeah, we've gotten thousands and thousands of words uh, about how to build a decent program at Wyoming and ULM and um, Hawaii and whatnot. So uh, well so done, yeah, just so everybody knows, we've gotten uh, just in my inbox. I see Army, Hawaii. Um, I think I see a directional Louisiana. It yeah. does not have to be a particular school. Just just have them be terrible and tell us how you'd fix it. That's pretty much the homework assignment. You can go into finances. You can go into I want to install particular. I mean, I don't really care. We're, we're just we're looking for something that's creative, innovative, something we can talk about in the off season. If you want to, if you want to privatize a directional Louisiana university and install the A eleven, go for it. I don't care. <laughs> just give me something good. If that requires making me the commissioner of college football, I'm okay with that too. That's what I'm talking about. Um, let's close out with Fresno State. We haven't talked about it. Yeah. So last, so how they going, be, Bill? We we've we've hit on Fresno a little bit just in terms of. Um, well, first of all, you made a great. Uh, they're the germs to Boise State's Nirvana last week. Thank you. Um, thank you. I, I tried to figure out who the meat puppets are in this scenario. Um. um I'm meditating. Man, that's a tough one, Bill. I'm, I may go Colorado State on that. Hmm. Just give me a week to think that. I mean, you throw throw heavy shit at me like that late in the podcast. So, but Fresno State's always been an interesting one because we talk about, um, you know, first of all, that, that last sentence I just said, you're only going to hear on this podcast. Fresno State's always been an interesting one. Um, but we talk a lot about hard jobs and ULM and Wyoming and Hawaii and how hard it is to recruit to these schools and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, uh, Fresno State's pretty close to like, what, a four-hour drive, within a four-hour drive or so from the Bay Area and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, reasonably, I, I, you know, this, this flawed revenue uh, stat, I've already closed it, but uh, they, are, they do reasonably well from a finance standpoint. They... Um, Let's see. Yeah, they they were they're right there with James Madison from this uh, res, revenue standpoint that I keep uh, referencing. They, uh, you know, they have a decent history. It's not like they've been you know thre- uh, contending for national titles or anything, but they've contended for BCS bowls. They were in the top. They made the top ten in twenty or in two thousand one um, when mm-hmm. they had that insane start. They were in the top fifteen as recently as twenty thirteen. Granted, that was kind of lame because they weren't they were 10 and 0 but they were not great they weren't as good as they were the year before as a matter of fact uh, and then they they got they bombed out down the stretch but still like they've spent let's see parts of five seasons this century ranked they spent five years in a row in the early 90s ranked um they have a lot going for them in other words last two seasons they're nine and 17 and uh um, what the hell <laughs> so i was kind of curious like i mean you you talk to Fresno State fans, or you, you dive into their message boards, uh, which is a fun experience, by the way. Um, and I mean, they're they're angry. They they can talk about how recruiting stinks, how they lose this guy to San Jose State, et cetera, et cetera. But from a general rating standpoint, from a general depth of three star recruits standpoint, uh, they've got a lot. They they've got a, a deep what seems like a decent base. Uh, I was curious when I was writing this year's preview like exactly how did they manage to go to fall as far as they did last year last year was probably their worst uh that that might have been their single worst just purely worst team probably worse than the four and nine team that got pat Pat hill fired man i just i'm sorry to interrupt but i remember this whole situation so differently like tim deruder coming out smelling like a rose that texas a&m situation and now you're telling me this guy's gonna get fired 
Well, here's the deal, though. He, he didn't get fired. He, he has another chance. Um, one thing Fresno has done that I'm really interested in is they don't get impatient. Like, no matter how frustrated their fans are on message boards, like Jim Sweeney was there uh, for 17 years. Then Pat Hill took over, and he was there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to give you a little rope. Eventually, you'll be gone if you go if you win four games enough. But they see like they they locked him into a pretty long term contract with a big buyout that they're not willing to pay uh, because they're just going to wager on him getting better, and it's going to be interesting. But last year, I mean, they basically. It was pretty clear they were going to stink because you know they had a bad year. They went six and eight in 2014. Yes, they won their division, but the division was hilariously awful. Um, they were not a good team. Uh, so then they, you know, they graduated some guys. They, they, some guys transferred. Some guys were encouraged to transfer, and they basically headed into last season with uh, no experience at quarterback. Minimal, I think it was what almost no experience. I think it was in the in the secondary. Basically, the areas where I've determined that you need experience more, they had none, and so of course they were going to stink last year. Um, the, because they were so inexperienced, though, they might have kind of a natural rebound in place now. If they can, they played like four different quarterbacks last year. This guy got hurt. This guy got suspended. This guy stunk. Then uh, they were just going back and forth like that. But this year they've got. Uh, among other things, that Chase and Virgil kid, the kid who was at Mississippi, who was the Mississippi State commit, uh, who got kind of pushed out and you know told we don't have a spot for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up at Fresno State. He looked okay in it through a couple of games, then got hurt and missed the rest of the year. But uh, they got a ton of receivers back. They've got, um, I think, I think most of their yeah their secondary back. Good number of pieces on defense. I don't think they'll be very good this year, but if they do well enough to keep DeRuiter, I think they could be kind of back on some sort of track by uh, you know next year. There, there's the your benefit first of the doubt with the hiring. I do feel like you, you've touched on a very important point there because there were times during Pat Hill's era where people wanted to move on or were frustrated. You inevitably get this embarrassment of riches kind of drunk with power moment in fan bases of mid-majors. I think Boise's excluded this because they keep they kept breaking their own ceiling. Um, the Pat Hill era was marked uh, by a couple of moments, kind of very similar to like Southern Mississippi and Jeff Bauer of yeah. this guy's come in, this guy has has defined what we are in the modern era. We're, we're, we're nationally known because of, you know, of what he's built slash, you know, ESPN and Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, whatever. But then you start to get frustrated that you're not – it's different for every program, but usually it's, hey, we've only won nine games. You know, why can't we win 11? Or, you know, are we ever going to go to the – are we ever going to go undefeated and become this at-large bid to the Rose Bowl or something stupid? Um, that works in DeRuiter's favor. Now, the environment in which Hill built Fresno doesn't exist anymore. For whatever it's worth, I do think that the often shaky Mountain West is a little has a little bit more of an even playing field in recruiting and exposure than the WAC did. I think that's fair yeah, to say. yeah, most likely. Um, to, but still, to, they're in the, to they're talk in the about West. like losing recruits to San Jose State, I think is very telling. Yeah, I mean, I think the being in the Mountain West West, <laughs> as opposed to the Mountain West Mountain. Um, that still offers you a little bit of wackishness in that you, you're not in the same division as Boise, Utah State, Colorado State. Um, the teams that kind of, on average, have their crap together more often than not. Uh, you're you're in with San Jose State and you're in with um, Hawaii. Like I think that offers you a little bit more of an opportunity to. Uh, well, I mean, they, they they were six and six and they made the, the WAC title. I mean, the Mountain West title game a couple of years ago. That kind of probably says a lot right there. But you're in with Nevada, who doesn't really quite know what it wants to be yet. UNLV is trying to build something. San Diego State, of course, right now is the class of the of the d- division by far. Um, but that hasn't always been the case, obviously. So, um, I, I mean, there's a path there for Fresno State. And I, I understand that they get frustrated. Plus, I think there's a little bit, from a fan standpoint, there's a little bit of um, – Boise is the Alabama to Fresno's LSU going on here um, where they were so good for so long. And then Boise just swoops in and does better. The difference being, Uh, I think that in terms of the ending that analogy, Boise needs Fresno. Boise needs somebody else in that conference. Boise has told me as much in in unofficial ways that 
I mean, when you go into these a conference title game and, and the divisions weren't as lopsided as they thought they'd be, but you had San Diego State at 11-3 and three, and then you didn't have another team in the West with a winning record in conference play. Well, Nevada last and San year, Jose were 500. Well, yeah, last – right, right, right. Yeah, San Diego, San Diego State was the only decent team in the West last year. Um, I mean, I forgot that San Diego State went 8 no in conference play and 11-3 and three overall. I guess we should be talking more about San Diego State. Um but what Boise needs desperately is a Jim McElwain type ascendant for, you know, Mike Bobo at Colorado State. And then also just a, you know, seven to nine win range for Fresno to where Fresno is able to go in and beat a team of note outside of conference play. And then Boise can beat them. There just has to be some high end depth in this conference for for Boise, because I don't think San Diego State's going to sustain what they did last year. I mean, it, it is still Boise's conference. Yeah, and I mean, looking at looking at the, like the roster of teams all at once, I do think there's like UNLV might have just made a really good hire in Tony Sanchez. They, I mean, he you know he cleared hurdles for one year. Now he has to do it for like five more, obviously. But mm-hmm. he, I, I'm really curious about what he's going to do there. Um, if so, if you have UNLV, if you have San Diego State, they're gonna they're not gonna outscore opponents two eighty nine to ninety in conference play like they did last year, but they're going to still be pretty solid. They, they've been solid for a while. Uh, if if either San Jose or Fresno can kind of get back to a solid uh, you know eight win level, if Nevada can reestablish its offensive identity that it lost, and I kind of they hired the Montana State offensive coordinator. I, I like that hire a lot. I think. Uh, their defense still isn't going to be very good, but if they can at least have that identity where they can win shootouts, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Mike Bobo recruited really well at Colorado State this year. Um, Utah State. You're I've just talking like a man up. who's in the middle of a Mountain West preview. Damn straight I am. Yeah, like Utah State, I, I, every, I, I don't quite understand how they're still doing pretty well, but they're still doing pretty well. Air Force has completely rebounded from a massive funk they had two years ago. Oh, I'd like to add in the misconceptions department, Bill. The Mountain Division... More stable, more successful, harder the conference. That's the further of the two away from California, which is the recruiting bed for almost every one of these programs. Just want to throw that out there. Keep going. Yeah, organization uh, and good hires have a lot to. uh, It's not just recruiting. But yeah, I mean, other than Wyoming and Hawaii, and even Wyoming just made a, you know, they hired Greg Bowl. So, I mean, technically they've made a good hire, even if that's a really, really hard job. Um, I didn't. I, I didn't expect Utah State to be still this good. I didn't expect New Mexico. I, I, I thought the New Mexico thing would be a joke, honestly. Um, so to see them with a winning record, I, I mean, that's impressive. Uh, it's just a lot funny. of teams, a lot of teams in the ninety to one ten range that need to improve. I mean, let's put it this way: we're talking about the Mountain West right now, and not the MAC because the MAC had a higher S and P average. Therefore, I previewed the Mountain West first, and that, there you go. That's bad. But you could see a path forward for a lot of these programs. Yep. All right, sir. I think we blew past an hour. Um, yeah, just just slightly. We could actually probably we'll, we could dive a little bit more into the Mountain West next week because I know you'll still be wrapping that uh, or finishing that up. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that jumps to to mind unless you guys want to hit us up or something particular to the Mountain West slash the old wax slash all the weird stuff that we do. But again, uh, keep your Keep your homework assignments coming. Um, we'll probably break that down on next week's show, uh, barring any major developments. But we are in the Valley right now. Basketball is king in college sports. So um, help us be creative and entertain you. Yeah, this is like the two weeks where basketball outweighs college football. Yeah, Enjoy it while it lasts, nerds. <laughs>